chapter number one. Colossians chapter number one. Going, walking our way through the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter one. We're going to pick it up in verse number fifteen. And verse number 15, when it says who, it's referencing the Lord Jesus. Verse 15, he says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And then verse 19, we'll end with this one. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Lord, we uh, come to this uh, rich passage of scripture uh, that describes the character and the nature of the Lord Jesus. Lord, there's no way that I could improve upon what was already recorded in these words, but Lord, I pray that you would help me tonight as I endeavor to explain what these verses mean. And uh, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to um, help this to make sense to everybody. And uh, I pray, Lord, that we would live differently as a result of our understanding, uh, a better understanding of who you are. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. So as Paul is writing to, to the church at Colossae, one of the things that was going on in this church is there was a, a big misunderstanding of who Jesus was. And they were endeavoring to bring Jesus lower uh, than he really is. And so Paul here is uh, sharing some truths about who Jesus Christ really is in this uh, little passage that we just read. Last time we looked at a few of the descriptions, descriptions of uh, our Savior. In uh, verse number 15, we uh, learned that he is the image of the invisible God. Um, John 14 uh, this passage where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's a pretty familiar passage. Well, the verses after that say, if ye, um, if ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. And, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. And then Philip asks the question, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. If you, if you would show us the Father, then, then we'd be satisfied. Then we'd be happy. And then Jesus goes on to say, Have I been so long time with you, and uh, yet hast thou not known me, Philip? And then he makes this declaration, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? So, in other words, uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And we took some time to explain that uh, a little bit further last time. And then we also saw in verse number 15 that Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. This didn't mean that he was born. And certainly we know that Jesus it was, was virgin born, the virgin birth of Christ. We, we know that he, he, he was born in Bethlehem, but, but that's not where he had his beginning. And uh, 
we, we, we learn that in, in verse number 16 because how can uh, someone who was born in Bethlehem and uh, create all things? Um, he was not, that's not where he started in his existence, uh, was not in Bethlehem. He has always existed. And, and uh, one of the other uh, descriptives mentioned that, but this gives the idea that he is the first in time, uh, that he is uh, eternal, and that he is the first in rank. Um, remember in, in, in Bible days, the firstborn was the one who had the highest rank out of all the children. So if in my family, um, when I was growing up, I was the firstborn. And so, of course, I thought I was better than my brother. Of course. Um, uh, but that wasn't really why I was the better than my brother. And I'm not better than my brother. I just have that, that privilege, really, of being the first one born. And when, when, when it talks about Jesus being the firstborn of every creature, he's, it's saying that he is the first in rank over every creature. So we saw that Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. We saw that Jesus is the creator in verse number 16. And we saw that uh, he, uh, all things were made by him, and then all things were made for him in that last part of the verse. All things were created by him, and all things were created for him. John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. And then remember, he goes on to say, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus was the creator and is the creator. Number four, we saw that Jesus is eternal. Um, we see that here in verse number 17 where it says, and he is before all things. So in other words, Jesus has always been and always will be Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus is eternal. And then uh, lastly, last, the last time we, we saw that he is the sustainer, in verse number 17, by him all things consist. He holds everything together, the universe and uh, all the way down to the molecules of, that make up my body. He holds it all together. And uh, J. Vernon McGee, and I mentioned this last time, uh, said that Jesus is the superglue of creation. <laughs> I like that. And uh, it's worth repeating. So Jesus is a sustainer. That's where we ended last, uh, last time. And, and uh, here as we continue on through this passage, in verse number 18, we come to the next descriptive of the Lord Jesus. And where the Bible says he is the head of the body of the church. So we see that number one tonight, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. Now this gives the idea that Jesus then has the authority and the right and even the responsibility to give direction and guidance to the church. So he is the head of the church. By the way, it's worth saying that uh, the pastor is not the head of the church. So Pastor Eric Johnson is not the head of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Oh, no. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We were talking about it this afternoon after the morning service that I'm just a saint, um, just like you, okay? Uh, we're, we're, I'm no different. The ground is level at the cross, um, but uh, Jesus is the head, not the pastor. It's also worth noting that the deacons are not the head of the church. I mean, I'm thankful for our deacons. We have five godly men 
who faithfully serve and, and uh, give, give some uh, help and guidance to me and, and uh, to our church family. Um, but, and I know in some churches, the deacons take the role of the head of the church where they're the ones in charge and they're the ones that are making all the decisions. Um, and uh, that's not the way it is here. I'm thankful for their servant heart, their servant's heart. Uh, but it is worth noting that the deacons are not the uh, head of the church. The board of directors or the trustees or whatever a church may call them, they're not the head of the church either. Uh, well, they, they've been given a responsibility and a position and a title. Great, but that doesn't mean that they're the head of the church. Um, by the way, also worth noting that the denominational headquarters or the denominational convention is not the head of the church. Which, by the way, our church does not belong to a denominational headquarters, nor do we belong to a convention. Um, we are an independent Baptist church, um, and, uh, and for good reason. Um, we're, and by the way, not even the congregation is the head of the church. Well, we all decide what we're going to do together, and we're going to... Now, I understand we as a church family gather together, and we vote on different things and all of that, but... But ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Um, if you would, take your Bible and hold your place here. And uh, we're going to be looking at a few passages uh, tonight as we go through this uh, message. But Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, and pick it up in verse number 13. Just to remind us who the head of the church is and how... What reverence he deserves. So verse number 13, it says, In the midst of the seven candlesticks, and uh, we find out who the candlesticks are. Um, in, in verse 20, it says, uh, The mystery of the seven stars uh, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Okay, so here... In verse 13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, in the midst of the seven churches, one like unto the Son of Man. And, and look at the description of the one who is the head of the church. He's clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool and white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like undefined brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Does that not remind you of the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword? So out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when John saw him, he went, Hey, there's the head of the church. Everybody, let's throw a party. That wasn't his response in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He said, I, I was scared. There was a spirit of reverence for the fact that he's the one in charge. He is the authority. And so the Lord laid his right hand upon him and saying unto him, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. And so, just to remind us the fact, and we could flip back to Colossians 1 here, 
but to remind us who the, the fact that Jesus is the head of the church and to understand who he is as the head of the church. He's not this passive guy sitting in the corner going, yeah, you guys do what you want. He very much cares about what goes on in this church and in, the, in his church, in the body. Uh, as you read through, and we won't take the time again, but Revelation chapter 2 and 3, uh, he deeply cared about what was going on in the churches that he addressed uh, there in those, in those chapters. And so he deeply knows and cares about what's going on here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. He's the head of the church. So as a result, we get our purpose from him. We get our instruction from him. He is the head of the church. Now, the relationship between Christ and the church is a very important relationship and one that Paul uh, likens to marriage. Rather, he likens marriage to the relationship Christ has with the church. And he says that Jesus is the head of the church in Ephesians chapter number 5. And if you want to turn back over to Ephesians 5 for just a quick moment. Ephesians 5 and verse number 23 that says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, I know that there's some homes in which the wife acts as the head. Uh, we're, she's the one that makes all the decisions. She's the one that uh, calls the shots. The thing is, is that's, that's the wrong picture of Christ and the church. See, we don't go and say, okay, Jesus, here's what we're going to go do, and you need to go along with it. That's ridiculous. That's preposterous to think that we would have the authority to go to Jesus and say, here's how we're going to run your church. Well, in marriage, there are a lot of wives who think, no, I'm the one that's going to call the shots in this relationship. In our home, I'm going to be the one. And if I'm not happy, then ain't no one happy. Right? And so you better make sure you please me. But that's not the, uh, the setup that we see in the relationship between Christ and the church. It, no, no, no believer would say, oh, yeah, well, I tell Christ what to do. That's my relationship with him. No, we all understand that he's the one that gets to call the shots in our lives and in this church. Okay, so let's apply that to our marriages. Here's what, here's what Paul goes on to say. Um, Therefore... As the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in the things that you agree with. No. If your Bible's open to Ephesians 5.24, it says this, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The things that you're cool with, and things that you're not. And of course, that's the more difficult part of submitting to your husband. And, and as I look across the room today and I see uh, families and, and husbands and wives, I know that your husbands aren't going to try to lead you astray, at least not intentionally, not on purpose. 
They're good-willed husbands. They want to lead you to go in the right direction. So therefore, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Of course, there's a responsibility for husbands to love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So, ladies, it's not like we're off the hook here and it's like, yeah, you just need to obey us. No, we're to lay our lives down as Christ laid down his life for the church. And we need to be sacrificial in our love for our wives. And we're ne- we need to express it through being willing to sacrifice in ways that are not comfortable and are not pleasant. We need to be willing to do that as husbands. But um, I just wanted to take a moment and, and consider the fact that, yes, Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, but it's... That, that applies also to the home as well. And uh, Paul mentioned that in the book of Ephesians. So we see here that uh, Jesus, number one, is the head of the church. Number, number two, let's look at the fact that Jesus is the beginning. Back in Colossians 1 and verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. Now, here we've already mentioned the fact that Jesus is the beginning of creation. We've already seen how Jesus is the creator. He's the beginning of life. Revelation 3.14 says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So Jesus is the beginning of the creation. He's the beginning of creation. But he's also the beginning of the church. He's also the beginning of the church in Matthew 16, 18. And, and this, this, this phrase, who is the beginning, um, is in this verse 18 that, that is in the context of the church. Uh, Matthew 16, 18, and I'm going to turn there for a brief moment. Jesus asked the question, whom, whom do people say that I am? And they began to say, well, Elias, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he turns to his disciples and says, but whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter raises his hand. And uh, we looked at this passage in Mark just a few weeks ago. Uh, Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 18, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And then verse 18, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so here he begins his church. Now, when it says upon this rock, uh, there's three uh, theories on who, what Jesus was referring to when he said upon this rock. Um, many people believe that he meant it was Peter, and upon Peter he would uh, build his church, and therefore Peter was the first pope. <laughs> uh, that's what they believe. No, that's uh, I don't think that that is correct at all. Some people believe, which is more likely, um, but it's not the one that I believe. Uh, but what when Peter said, "Thou art the Christ," that's the rock that uh, Jesus was saying that he was going to build his ch- church on on that foundation of Jesus being the Christ. That's, that's a better answer than Peter being the rock, for sure, because uh, a rock gives the idea of stability. And does Peter really give you the idea of stability as we continue through the Gospels? No, uh, quite the opposite. 
Uh, in fact, he's probably one of the most instable individuals of the disciples. So him saying, thou art the Christ, that's the rock on which, no, I, I think that that's still not correct. I think when Jesus was saying that, he was, there was a gesture going on that is not recorded here. But I believe that when he said, uh, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, as he said, upon this rock, he was going like this, upon this rock, I will build my church. So he was the, he's the, the foundation of the church. He's the beginning of the church. And there is a promise, and I'm thankful for the promise, that uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, that no matter what people say or do, churches are going to continue. You know, President Biden could come out with an executive order tomorrow saying all churches need to close down. Go ahead and make that executive order, but the, that's not going to stop the church. And uh, I hope that we would say, appreciate what you're doing there. Okay, not really, but <laughs> uh, we're still going to meet uh, because we ought to obey God rather than men in this scenario. And uh, the, we see in, in other countries where churches are forbidden by law to meet, they're still meeting because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So he founded it. He started it. He also gave his life for it. And we already mentioned in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So he cared deeply about the church so much that he was willing to lay down his life and give his life as a sacrifice for the church. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, if you uh, could flip over there very quickly. Acts 20, 28. There's a reference to not just the fact that Jesus laid down his life and gave his life for the church, but verse 28 says this in verse uh, chapter 20 of Acts. says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the payment was pretty expensive for the church. Okay, so going back to Colossians, as we consider the fact that Jesus is the beginning of creation and the beginning of the church and, and what he did to found it and, and how he uh, gave his life for it and he shed his blood for it, uh, friend, do you not think then the church should be important in our life? Yeah. Should it be more important than, as we talked about this morning, work? Should it be more important than extracurricular activities, sports. There is a basketball game going on right now that I'm very curious to know what happens in. <laughs> Don't tell me the score. Don't give me an indication. I'm not recording it. I'll just check the score afterwards. But go Tar Heels. Okay. Um, I know not really not that many people really care about ba college basketball. We found that out in my Sunday school class. There's like three people in the class, four people that even cared at all about it. Um, look, I like sports. I like riding my motorcycle in weather like this. 
Amen. Thank you. Thank you for the amen. I, going to the lake right now would be kind of neat. But you know, there is something more important than all of that. And that is being in the Lord's house on the Lord's day, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. Being involved in church is, needs to be a big priority. Why? Because it was a big priority to him. He's the beginning of it. Jesus is the beginning. Back in Colossians 1 here, we see that Jesus is the beginning. Next, we see that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. We're going to run some scriptures here, and I hope that your thumbs are ready to do some turning because I think you'll enjoy this little study here. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. In verse number 18, he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. See, he was the only one to conquer and defeat death. You say, wait a minute, time out, pastor. I may not be the best Bible student and have the best Bible knowledge in all the world, but weren't there others in the scriptures who were raised to life after dying? You would be absolutely correct. I'd like to take a quick moment to run those stories very quickly. There's not too many of them. In fact, um, before Jesus, there were six. So if you would start and turn into uh, first, first Kings chapter number 17, first Kings 17, the first resurrection in the scriptures. And I know that uh, you might, you might think, well, Enoch, wasn't he one of them? Well, he never died. He's kind of a picture of the rapture. Elijah was one who never died as well, and he's a picture of the rapture as well. But, but 1 Kings 17, here's somebody who died and was raised to life again. 1 Kings 17 and, verse, or, yeah, 17 and verse number 17, it says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. So this, this boy dies. And verse 18, she said to Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She blamed him for it. Um, you know, let's, let's blame the messenger, shoot the messenger. Uh, verse 19, And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom, carried him up into a loft where he abode, and laid him upon his own bed. He cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. The first resurrection in history. The first resurrection in the scriptures. So Elijah got to be a part of that and uh, be a part of that miracle of, of, of raising this, this young man to life. Well, remember, who came after Elijah? Elisha. And uh, he had my favorite hairstyle of all time. He was bald. <laughs> uh, Elisha, though, asked for a, por a double portion of the spirit that God gave Elijah. And God granted that request. And we do see that Elisha actually performed twice as many exactly miracles that Elijah performed. And Elijah got to see one 
individual raised to life, Elisha got to see two, double portion of the Spirit. Let's look at them very quickly. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Verse 32. Then when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and laid upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Verse 35, then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself uh, upon, upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. I think that's the only time in the scriptures we see somebody sneezing. <laughs> the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And so here Elisha got to experience the miracle of the resurrection. But that wasn't the only time. Somebody was raised to life with, under Elisha's uh, ministry and influence. Uh, if you turn over to uh, 2 Kings 13, so just a few uh, pages to the right, chapter 13. Uh, now, Elisha at this point, though, has died, Elisha. And we find in verse number uh, 20, it says, uh, And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. Well, it came to pass as they were burying a man that, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood upon his feet. And you can imagine those who lowered him into that sepulcher were like, you know, I'm sure sad, like, okay, we're burying one of our own, and then... And then he just pops out of there. It's like, wait a minute, this, this is different. <laughs> and uh, that, that's what happened there. So Elisha got to see, I mean, in a, in a sense, he got to participate in two different resurrections uh, in his influence there. Okay? Those are the only three that took place in the Old Testament. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus, you think, I remember learning about Jesus resurrecting and raising others. So Elijah won. Elisha got to experience two. Jesus got to see three uh, raised from the dead. And if we go to uh, Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse number 11. Luke seven eleven, Open 24 hours a day, 24-7. Um, Luke 7, 11 says this, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He said to her, Weep not. He came and touched the, the buyer, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Um, Luke is just kind of like nonchalant, you know. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother, like just stating the facts. <laughs> uh, there, there's not a lot of, like, 
extra emotion in this journalism here that, that Luke's recording. Uh, but that is what happened. Uh, Jesus raised this young man to, to life. Okay, There was another instance, if you go to Luke chapter 8, so just one page or two over from your, in your Bible, Luke chapter 8, verse 41. It says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and we studied this as we went through uh, the Gospel of Mark and, and, and are working our way through that. Um, but it says here, There came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him, and then this woman having an issue of blood, that, that whole like interruption, um, and then in verse, picking up here in verse number um, uh, 49, it says, While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came to the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. All, and all wept. I mean, there was... There was some serious emotion, some serious tears going on. And bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. Her spirit came again. She arose straightway, and he commanded her to give her meat. Let's get this girl something to eat. <laughs> Let's get her a burger. And her parents were astonished, uh, no doubt, uh, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Okay, then we have, if we uh, go over to uh, John chapter 11, John chapter 11, and this is the last person that Jesus raised to, to new life before his crucifixion. And uh, this is a very lengthy passage. I'm not going to read all of it. Um, if we just kind of fast forward, Lazarus is dead. Most of us are familiar with this one. In verse number 35, uh, Jesus wept, and that's the context here on his friend, the, guy, the, the, the man he loved and, and, uh, and appreciated. Verse 36, the Jews said, Behold how he loved him. And, and then uh, if you go to verse number uh, 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone, Martha the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Um, I do love the King James on that. Um, this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said not I unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin, and Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. And then verse 45, Many then believed on him because of that miracle. So Jesus raised three individuals from the dead. And then, uh, for those who are familiar with a little bit of uh, the, the significance of numbers in the scriptures, so we've had six raised from the dead but there was the seventh, the number of completion. Who was number seven? Jesus Christ himself, the firstborn from the dead. But of all those raised to life so far, and, and we'll take time as we go into Resurrection Sunday to study the, the passages that, 
that go through the resurrection of Christ, and uh, they're, they're, they're special and they're precious. But of all those raised to life so far, the six, only one was raised to die no more. Um, not, not six, of the seven raised to life so far, only one was raised to die no more. The previous six all died again. Lazarus, he got to experience death twice. Uh, the, these boys that were raised and this, this daughter that was raised, I mean, all of them, uh, this, this guy who was lowered into Elisha's uh, sepulcher, um, he got to experience death twice. But only one was raised to never die again, and that was Jesus. Um, you see, when Jesus rose from the grave, he was the first to never die again. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is also the only one to be raised from the dead by no one else. He is the only one to be raised by his own power. John 2 and verse 19 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, referring to his body, and in three days I will raise it up. And he did. John 10, 10, or 10, 18 says this, No man taketh it from me, referring to his life, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And he did take it again. He is the first also to be raised in a glorified body. But that wasn't the only resurrection. There weren't just seven. In fact, there were several more. And I'd like to just take a quick moment and show you. Uh, turn to Matthew 27. This is one that doesn't get mentioned a whole lot. But it's a, it's a pretty neat thing to, to think about. Matthew 27 and verse number 50. Jesus on the cross, verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Jesus died. Verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. But notice verse 52 and 53, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Verse 53 says, and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So all of a sudden there was this invasion in Jerusalem of Old Testament saints walking around. That must have been different. <laughs> like, I don't know who these saints were exactly. Um, I, in my mind's eye, I, I think maybe could have been Adam walking around. Could have been Elisha, Jonah, Josiah, Noah, Abel, David, Ruth, Malachi, Gideon, Esther, Mordecai, and any of the old, I'm not sure which ones were walking around the holy city and, and, and saying, hello, my name's Adam, what's yours? <laughs> uh, that would have been Interesting. But here's, it's, it's recorded that uh, when, when Jesus uh, went down and um, it, the graves were opened, and then after the resurrection, these people went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Amazing. Now, several years after the resurrection of Christ, I'll give you two others. We won't take the time to look at them. But Peter raised a lady named Dorcas, 
uh, which is one of my favorite names in all the Bible, uh, which is Tabitha. And we had, a, we had a Tabitha that worked on staff with us in California. Uh, she was one of the secretaries, and so we always made fun of her and called her Dorcas from time to time. <laughs> she hated that, <laughs> and we thought it was the funniest thing ever. But uh, Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. Acts chapter 9 um, is the reference there uh, at the end of that chapter. And then in Acts chapter 20, uh, after Paul was long preaching, and, and you're thinking, okay, this is about to happen again tonight, uh, but uh, Eutychus was sitting in the upper loft, if you remember that, and then he, it was like about midnight, so I, I should be done before midnight, because anybody who preaches it past midnight, you're going to probably run into this. So that's my, that's my deadline to be done with this message, midnight. But uh, Eutychus was up there, and he was like, this is, this is getting long, and he kind of gets a little drowsy, and and he, and he falls asleep, and then he falls all the way down, and it created this big scene, of course, and, uh, and he was raised to life by Paul uh, there. And, of course, the power of God was all at play in all this. But, so, but there's, there, there's another resurrection I do want to show you, one more. I, I know this is a, taking a minute here to go through all this, but I think it's, it's worth our time. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the resurrection that I'm most excited about and interested in, Amen. and that is our resurrection. Um, and so if we go to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number uh, 51, 1 Corinthians 15, by the way, is the resurrection chapter that talks about the importance of the resurrection of Christ in our lives, and if it didn't happen, then we're, why are we here tonight in church. We should be watching the North Carolina uh, Tar Heels beat St. Peter, Peter's Peacocks. That's what we should be doing. But the resurrection did happen, so we should be here tonight. Okay. But then he talks about not, not just Christ's resurrection, but then he turns the, the, the tide and talks about our resurrection. Okay. Look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And uh, i got to say the obligatory uh, nursery joke here. Uh, that should be the theme of every church nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Okay, uh, moving on. That's uh, not a reference to that, of course. Uh, it's a reference to us. Uh, we're not going to all sleep, and sleep means to die as believers. Uh, we shall all be changed. And here he goes in verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So one day, uh, as Jesus, as I mentioned, was the first one to be resurrected in a glorified body, you and I are going to receive a glorified body at that resurrection. No more cancer. No more COVID. No more canker sores, ingrown toenails, 
mentioned those this morning. Uh, I'm thankful. I, I can't wait. We'll, Jesus was able to go through walls. He was still able to eat, praise the Lord. By the way, he also ate honeycomb. We can still eat sweets in our glorified body. Amen. He's the firstborn from the dead. I know that took a little long to go through that, but he, he's the first one to be raised by his own power. He's the first one to be raised as a glorified body that will never die. And one day you and I, as believers, will be resurrected to no more die. The, one day there'll be no more funerals, no more graveside services, no more viewings. No more in lieu of flowers, please. None of that. I'm looking forward to that. Firstborn from the dead. Number four. Let me wrap this up. I know it's getting late. But uh, number four, I want us to see back in Colossians 1 that Jesus is fully God. Colossians says, Colossians 1, verse number 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. This means that the sum total of all the divine power and attributes is in Christ. Colossians 2.9 is a uh, great cross-reference for this, where it says, For in him, Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The fullness of God's character is in Christ. John 14.10 says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I spake unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So Christ, again, the fullness of God dwelt in him. Jesus had all the fullness of the Father's power. Uh, Matthew 8, 28, 18 is the reference there. All power, Jesus said, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus also had the fullness of the Father's wisdom in Colossians Uh, 2 and verse number 3, in whom are all hid the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus was 100% God, and he was and is fully God. Now, um, at the end of this verse, in verse number 19, it says, uh, For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. That word dwell means to be at home permanently. Uh, Dr. West, in his commentary on this verse, he was a Greek scholar, noted that this fullness was not something added to his being that was not natural to him, but that it was a part of his essential being and part of his very constitution, and that permanently. So it always been that way and always will be that way. For several years now, I've had to wear glasses. I remember, you know, I thought, I'm not going to wear glasses. I'm just going to, my eyes will adjust. They'll figure it out. I'm young. I, I've lost my hair. There's no way I should be losing my sight. It's not fair. And so I kind of fought against it and wouldn't, and wouldn't admit it that I was losing my vision. But as I look out among you today, it's actually, I should probably do this more often. It's a little more pleasant. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Y'all are blurry to me. I mean, I, I can make out who you are, but not very good, uh, like many of you with glasses. And I remember when I went and said, okay, finally, I bet I pr- I'm going to go ahead and get some glasses. 
And so I went to the eye doctor. They, you know, threw the, eye, the, the air in my eyes. I hate that part of it. And, uh, you know, does this look better or does this look better? Does this look sharper? Does this look sharper? And going through that whole uh, rigmarole and finally get my glasses. And I'm, I'm standing in the back of our church auditorium and I'm looking at the screen that we have. And I'm in charge of the, the screen. I'm in charge of making sure the lyrics are on there and the sermon slides and all of that. And, uh, and then I put my glasses on and I, and I look at that and I remember going, whoa, wow, it's like a whole new life. I've been missing this. Why didn't I get glasses before? And I'm like, and I've been in charge of that thing all this time? That's not great. Uh, I wonder how much people were like, I can't see that. Or maybe it's like, that's too big. <laughs> um, okay, here's, here's the deal. Um, see, Jesus being fully God here, he, is, he brings God really into focus for the world. And so Christ brings God into focus. Remember what Jesus said to Philip? He said, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Yeah, he's fully God. And then lastly here, last thought, and if you, you thought, well, didn't you miss something in, in verse 18? I was waiting until the last thought to bring this up. Jesus should be preeminent. Jesus should be preeminent. In verse number 18 the end of that verse is in all things he might have the preeminence. I know I'm out of time, but uh, give me just a few more minutes as I conclude this thought here. Preeminent. What does that mean? It means superior in excellence, surpassing others. In other words, that he might be first and chief over all persons, over all angels, and over all men and in the church. Why? Because he has a superior nature. He's fully God. Because he has a superior name. He has a name which is above every name. And he has a superior place. According to Ephesians 1.21, Jesus is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He is preeminent. Now, while Jesus Christ is indeed above all in rank and in power, he does not necessarily, he's not necessarily preeminent in every person's life. So the real question is, is he really preeminent in your life? And this is the whole crux of the message tonight for us as, as we want to take something home tonight. This is what we should take home. Is Jesus preeminent in my life? Now, many people give him place. They open their hearts and let him in to save them, to give them salvation, eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Yeah, I'll give you place, Lord. Some go a little further, and, and they give him prominence. That is, they give him general control over their lives, but there are still areas of their lives in which they reserve the right to control. There are some areas where they're like, okay, that's, Lord, you need to stay out of there. Don't you be touching that. That's, that's my, that's, I get to call the shots in that area. That's for me. And these people, yes, they give them prominence, but there are still areas that they haven't given the Lord control over. And then fewer 
Christians, sadly, go all the way to allow the Lord Jesus to be just that, the Lord Jesus, to allow him to be preeminent. And it should be all Christians, but there are few who do indeed allow the Lord to be preeminent in their life, to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all that they have and all that they are. These are the ones who will say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. These are like, uh, these people are like the young virgin woman named Mary who when she was approached by the angel and said, you're by the way going to give birth to the Messiah, she said, be it unto me according to thy word. She didn't say, well, that's an area you can't touch. Because I have a plan, man. My plan is I'm going to get married to Joseph and we're going to live the Israelite dream. No, she said, I want you to be preeminent in my life. And whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Look here in Colossians 1 and verse 18. He says that in some things he might have the preeminence. No, there's that pesky word all again, isn't it? <laughs> in all things. So as you consider your life, is he preeminent in all things of your life? Is he preeminent in your schedule? Is he preeminent in your entertainment choices, in your social media usage, in your wardrobe choices, in your friends, in your marriage? Is he preeminent in your parenting as you raise your children? Is he the one preeminent? Or are you raising your kids just like your parents raised you? Or are you allowing the Lord to be preeminent? Are you, is, is he preeminent in your finances and how you, uh, where you spend your money and how you spend and invest? Is he preeminent? Or do you just make choices based on whims? Is he preeminent in your thought life? And you name the other areas of your life. Is he preeminent in all things? Look, he desires and he deserves to be preeminent in every area of our lives. Paul said that in all things he might have the preeminence. So, what will you do with Christ? We said today that he is the head of the church. Paul said also that he is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. He's fully God. And that he should be preeminent in our life. What will you do with Christ? First, can I encourage you tonight to trust him as your Savior? If you're here tonight and you're not saved, please come to him and be saved. If you are saved, can I encourage you to follow him, to allow him to be the head, to not, let, to not think, okay, well, I get to be the one that gets to call the shots. No, allow him to be the head. I, can I encourage you to share him, tell others of who he is. People are seeking in all the wrong places for joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction when Jesus Christ who is the fulfillment of all of those things, is there all along. So let's share him this season as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday. And then, can I encourage you to allow him to be preeminent in your life, in every area, in all things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time today to talk about you. And uh, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Uh, I know we, we spent a little longer than normal, but Lord, I pray that it's been profitable that you'd use this message in our lives, Lord, especially in the area of the 
preeminence. Father, I pray that you would allow us or help us to allow you to be preeminent in all things in our lives. To not have an area that we have put a do not disturb sign on, but Lord, that we have opened the door and given you complete access to every area of our lives and to have control and for us to be submissive to your will. And Lord, if there's one here tonight that hasn't been saved, I pray they would come to Christ and be saved tonight. Help us to follow you. Help us to trust you. Help us to share you this, this, this season. As many are searching for what you offer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Let's, uh, let's sing together tonight as we close our service near the cross.